When you get that Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 20. We're going to start in verse 19. And really, we're picking it up from last week. Last week, the big idea of our message um, was about authority. And Webster's Dictionary says this about authority. It says that authority uh, is the power or right to give orders, to make decisions, and to exercise enforcement, authority. All of us have to decide who's going to be the ultimate authority in our lives, right? Is it going to be us or is it going to be God who rules and reigns? And here in Jerusalem right now, this poses a problem for the religious leaders because they think they're the ultimate authority. They rule, they have the power, they set the terms, they run the show. And what they've found is that Jesus is bad for business. They don't like the fact that he's showing up and acting like he owns the place. Uh, he does, but they don't like that. And, uh, and so they start confronting him. And uh, as they confront him, they confront him with this issue of authority. They're like, hey, who gave you the authority to do what you're doing? You show up, you're overturning all the tables, and you're, you know, you're walking around preaching like you own the place. <coughs> who gave you that authority? And so Jesus, he begins to respond to this question, and ultimately what happens is he goes to the authority of the word. Jesus is the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, one of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, the Bible says. But he goes to the word, and he tells a parable based on Isaiah chapter 5 in response to this question about authority. And this parable identified the religious leaders of the day as being rebellious and wicked, and it, and it revealed Jesus as the Son of God. Um, and, you know, the way the parable went basically was, hey, there was, a, there was a landowner leased out his vineyard, and, you know, the guys that leased the vineyard were supposed to produce a harvest. They were then supposed to, you know, turn portion of that harvest over to the, the vineyard owner, and they, were, they weren't doing what they were supposed to do. And the vineyard owner sent representatives to them to say, hey, you know, get with the program. You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And, and they abused those representatives that came to them. They killed some of them. Uh, this was a picture of the prophets that God had sent to the nation of Israel. The vineyard was, was Jerusalem. And the, the vine tenders were the religious leaders. Um, and they're supposed to be ministering to the people, producing a flock and, and, and a harvest and all this stuff. And so God's sending prophets to them, and they're just not getting with the program. And ultimately, um, according to Jesus' parable, according to Isaiah chapter 5, what ends up happening, God sends his son uh, to, to say, hey, you know, you, you ain't get with the program. Here's what's going down. Here's how you're supposed to be, you know, uh, operating and so on. <clears throat> and so Jesus tells this parable, just basically hits these guys between the eyes. Well, uh, in, uh, I guess it would be help if I was in Luke. In Luke chapter 20, <laughs> turn over there. Uh, Luke chapter 20, verse 19 is where we left off. And it says, Jesus has told this parable. And it says, and the chief priests and the scribes that very hour, the hour that he told this parable, they sought to lay hands on him. Um, for the, uh, but they feared the people for they knew that he had spoken this parable against him. So see, they got a problem. People love Jesus, and religious leaders, they don't want the people not to love them uh, because their religion is big business, and so they don't want the people to turn against them. And, uh, and so what they're trying to do is saying, we need Jesus dead, but we got to figure out a clever way to do it. Um, and we can't do it overtly, otherwise all the people will turn on us. This is the kind of the get here. So 
verse 20, they watched him and they sent spies who pretended to be righteous that they might seize on his words in order to deliver him to the power and authority of the governor. And then they asked him saying, teacher, we know that you say and teach rightly and that you do not show personal favoritism, but you teach the way of God in truth. They are laying it on thick, you know? They don't mean a word of this, but they know how to deliver it. And so they're coming across like all, you know, we think you're awesome kind of thing <coughs> and flattering him. And so now they, they, they hit the question. Verse 22. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, understand here, the religious leaders, they're facing two very inconvenient truths, okay? These religious leaders of Jerusalem. Number one, they aren't the ultimate authority spiritually. They want to be. They think they are, but they're not. That's an inconvenient truth for them. Number two, they aren't even the most uh, ultimate authority secularly. They want to. They want to be in control of Jerusalem. They're not. They're under Roman occupation. Two very inconvenient truths for them. See, spiritually, the Jews missed entirely the purpose of the law and their need for a savior, these religious leaders. Here's what Paul told the Galatians. He said, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Here's what Paul was, was, was telling the Galatians. Here's the truth about God's word. God gives to us his word. He gives to us his righteous standard. He gives to us his law. The whole purpose of the law is to show you and to show me that we are in fact lawbreakers. God does not give us his law for a second thinking that you will be successful keeping his law. Now that doesn't mean that we don't have the burden to try and live righteously and try to live obediently to the word of God. It just simply means that God knows at the end of the day, you're gonna break it. And he wants you to know at the end of the day that you are a lawbreaker. That's the whole idea. And the whole point is that we might turn to God and cry out and say, God, have mercy on me. I am a lawbreaker. I need to be forgiven of my sin. I need to be cleansed of all unrighteousness. And ultimately, who is that accomplished in and through? Jesus is always the right answer in church, okay? You ask a question, it's typically Jesus is the right answer. So Jesus, have mercy on me. That's the whole point. But see, these religious leaders, they missed it. They missed it entirely. And so what happens is that they became increasingly legalistic. And so their, their, their attitude, their idea, they're the God squad. They're the enforcers of religious right. And so the law became the hammer that they beat everybody over the head with. You know, oh, you're a sinner. You got to work harder. You got to do good. You got to try harder. And then they would add all these rules and regulations around God's law to just add even more burdens on the people and all of this stuff. This is the whole dynamic that's going on in this, this uh, society <clears throat> and it's so toxically religious that they even miss Jesus when their Messiah comes to them. It's just a toxic situation. And so this is the inconvenient truth that they are refusing to accept in the parable that Jesus was telling them. Secularly, they also had to face the inconvenient truth that the Romans are in charge. So, so not only are they not ultimately in control spiritually, they're ultimately not in control secularly as well. And the irony is that they put themselves in this, in this situation. See, for them, they prided themselves on keeping the law, but they actually violated the law. And as a result of them violating the law, God allowed them 
um, to be defeated and to be occupied ultimately by Rome. If they had only submitted to God's authority in the first place, they never would have put themselves into this position where they had to submit to Roman authority, and yet this is their get. And on top of it all, adding injury or adding insult to injury, they have to pay taxes to Rome for the, for the privilege of Rome occupying and governing over them, which they despise. So they, they are in a situation where they could, could confess their sins, they could repent, they could receive Christ as, as Messiah, as Savior, as Lord, but no, they're doubling down. They're hardening their hearts. They want Jesus dead. So last week, they tried to trick him into you know, doing something, saying something that they could use against him, and they focused on this issue of authority. Their question was, whose authority are you operating under? And they wanted him either to say, well, I'm operating under my own authority, and then they could discredit him, or they wanted him to say, well, I'm operating under the authority of God, and then they could, you know, kill him as, as somebody who's a blasphemer, right? Well, he didn't, he didn't fall to that cleverly devised question. So today, their question ultimately really has to do with authority as well. Whose authority do you submit to is the attitude, is the idea. Now, once again, they think they've got Jesus over a barrel because either way he answers, they think he's toast. Because if he says that he is submitted to Rome's authority, well, then what that's going to do, if he says, yeah, paying taxes to Caesar is lawful, then what's going to happen is the people are going to turn on Jesus. And again, the religious leaders, all the people love him, and they don't want to be you know, the enemies of the people, but if they can get the people to turn on Jesus, hey, he just did our dirty work. So they're trying to get Jesus to say, yeah, you should pay taxes to Caesar, and then everybody's mad at Jesus and, and forsaking him. But if he says, if Jesus answers in the other way and says, no, it's not lawful, you shouldn't pay taxes to Caesar, well, then these religious leaders can go narc him out to the Romans and say, hey, you know, he, he ain't, he, he's inciting insurrection and promoting that people shouldn't pay taxes, and then Rome will take care of them. Either way, they think that their, their business is taken care of. Now, notice, this is key to our whole lesson today. Notice in verse 22, they bait Jesus, they bait the hook, with two different words. The first word is this word or in verse 22. They say, is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? This is, this is a very loaded word because the idea is it's either this or it's that. It's one or it's the other. Either we support the kingdom of God or we support the earthly government. This is the premise that they're making. But understand, this has never been an either-or equation where God is concerned. It is never an either-or equation where God is concerned because biblically, God calls us to submit to both. Uh, Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2 tells us everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from God and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God So anybody who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and they will be punished. Now, obviously, God comes first in this equation on a triage perspective, on a, you know, which comes, God is the priority, right? He's the priority submitting relationship. If we're ever in a situation (coughs) where we have to choose between the two, where Hey, I can either honor God 
or I can honor man's government, but simultaneously I cannot accomplish both, well, then in that instance, we are to to choose to honor God. We have an example of this in Acts chapter 5, where the Sanhedrin, the ruling authority, takes Peter and John, and they, they, you know, they're, they're out preaching the gospel. They, they haul them before their, their authority, which we've just read in Romans. I mean, all authority comes from God. So they tell them, hey, you can't do that. Stop preaching the gospel. Don't do it anymore. So the next day, they're back in front of the Sanhedrin. They're like, you again? You, wh- I thought we told you not to preach the gospel. And, and Acts chapter 5, verse 29 tells us that, but Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. This is not a contradiction. This is a situation where the human authority told them to do something contrary to God's will, his expressed, his expressed will. Hey, you can't preach the gospel. Take that up with God, is what Peter said. Because as it turns out, he wants us to do that. So uh, you guys are out. You know, I'm just, we're going to say no at this point, politely. So there are situations where that's the case. But in general, submission to earthly authority <coughs> includes both. That we obey the ordinance of government as good, as good citizens on earth, and we also obey the ordinances of God as good citizens of heaven. So it's not either or, it's both and. So this is the first thing they're trying to trick them on. Do we, do, do we pay them or not, either or? Now the second word that they try to entrap Jesus with even more insightful as it pertains to application today and your great takeaway, it's, it's in this phrase, pay taxes. Notice again, verse 22, is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, depending on your biblical translation, what, what translation of the Bible you read from, it may say pay taxes. Other translations may say to give taxes, and that's actually closer to the original Greek language. The Greek word is dodomai. And it literally means to give to. Now here's why that word is a trap. Continue with me, verse 23. Jesus perceived their craftiness and he said to them, why do you test me? He sees right through all of these guys as they're coming with all their flattering words. Do we pay taxes or not? You're right, we wanna know. He's like, you guys are setting me up. Perceives their craft, why do you test me? Show me, he says, a denarius. Whose image and inscription does it have? And they answered and they said, Caesar's. And he said to them, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. But they could not catch him in his words in the presence of the people. And they marveled at his answer and they kept silent. Here's why they marveled at his answer. And it has to do with, uh, with this very key word that he uses in verse 25. He uses the word render. He says, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. You know You're gonna wanna circle that word render. That's key to everything we're gonna talk about today. Everything that I want you to pack up and take home and take a walk with today all has to do with that word render, right? Here's why that word is a trap. Jesus, he says, show me a denarius. And he asks the question, he says, whose image and inscription does it have? Now, a denarius was a Roman-minted coin, okay, silver coin. And there were a couple in circulation at this time, a couple types of denarii. One had an image of Tiberius Caesar on it with an inscription that described him as the high priest. Another one had the image of Caesar Augustus on it, and its inscription 
described him as being deity, right? In other words, him, you know, Tiberius or uh, Caesar Augustus being, being God. <coughs> and the Jews, they were offended by these coins. They thought that they violated the first and the second commandment. First commandment, because the scripture inscribed on it, or the uh, inscription inscribed on the coin described, you know, Caesar as, as God, um, a violation of the first commandment, you have no other gods before me. Second commandment, um, because they had a human image on them, you know, don't make any, Im- any image, any idol that you're, that you're going to worship, right? So, so they thought these were a front, they, they didn't like them. But remember the question they asked Jesus, they said, is it lawful for us to give? to dodomai, to give taxes to Caesar or not. Jesus doesn't use the word give when he responds to them. He uses this word render, which means something else entirely. The word render, it's apododomai in the Greek. Here's what it means. It means to give back to. So they're saying, should we give taxes to Caesar? He goes, give back to Caesar what Caesar's, and then he adds, give back to God what is God's. Here's, here's, here's the important distinction. The word implies a debt. It implies that there is a debt, right? And what Jesus is saying is that we are citizens of heaven and earth simultaneously, okay? You have dual citizenship. And and so, yeah, you're responsible to God in all things, but you're also responsible to government in civil and national matters, just as we've established, right? Peter put it this way. He said, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor, Okay, saying this to Christians. So, so when Jesus asks here, whose image and inscription are on your money, basically, here's what he's essentially saying. Put it on the screen for you. He says, you recognize Caesar's civil authority when you use his coins that are marked with his image and inscription. Therefore, you are indebted to render, to give back to Caesar the taxes that he asks for. But, and this is key, But he says also that we are to render, to give back to God the things that are God's, okay? I'm going to put this on the screen. I want you to take a walk with this. Write it down. Whose image and inscription is on you? That's the issue. Whose image and inscription is on you? Caesar's image and inscription is on his coins. You you get back to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. But whose image and inscription is on you? That's the big question. See, because the Bible tells us that everybody is created in the image of God, right? Geneticists, they've recently discovered that our DNA is actually digitally encoded, which is significant because in order to be digitally encoded, there has to be a coder, right? So, so it's not that you went from the goo to the zoo to you, that it was that you were, you were intelligently designed and encoded. Your DNA has been. And the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then verse 26 of Genesis, that's Genesis 1.1, verse 26 goes on to say, then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So you've been made in the image of God, right? And when you receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, when you surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, listen, you now belong to God first. Yes, you have dual citizenship, but you belong to God first, right? You don't belong to Caesar. You don't belong to any other ruler. You don't even belong to yourself. You belong to God. And the implication is that his image is on you. His inscription 
is on you, and you now have a debt that you owe. Here's what Paul said to the Corinthians. He said, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God, and you don't belong to yourself? For God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. This isn't to earn forgiveness. This isn't to earn salvation. This comes from salvation. This comes from a place where if you have received the forgiveness of your sin because of Jesus' work on the cross, and you've cried out to the Lord and said, I want to surrender my life to you. I'm going to make you Lord. I'm going to make you God because you are. But, But take my life. Take all of me. Well, then what Paul is saying is that now in that relationship, you have to honor God with your body. That's part of the equation. And again, not to maintain a right standing with God just because you're acknowledging you own me. There's a slave-master relationship. Adam Clark in his commentary said this. He said, the image of God stamped on the soul of man denotes that all his faculties, that means yours, all your faculties, and all your powers belong to the Most High and should be employed in his service. This is the idea. This is the attitude. This will revolutionize your life if you take a walk with it. It's the simple fact that God owns you that you've been bought with a price, and that God, his great desire is a surrendered life to where you say, God, you own me, and you dictate what I render to you. What are you rendering to God? That's the question. Paul said this to the Ephesians. He said, for by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anybody should boast. You can't can't claim anything for, hey, I earned my right standing with God. He says, for we are his workmanship. The word is poem. It's work of art. We're we're God's poem, his workmanship, his work of art created in Christ Jesus. Here it is, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay? There's wonderful things that God desires to do in you and through you. Guys, he wants to change the world and has been for 2,000 years through humbly submitted people who recognize this truth. I'm saved by a great God who's done all of this stuff for me and he wants to change the world through me. There's, a, there's something that he has created me for. There's something that he's created you for. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing opportunity. It's mind-blowing. It will revolutionize your life. You think about it. That God's created you for so much more. You you just have no idea what God can do through a person who submits and says, God, what have you created me for? Let me step out into that. And so Jesus takes it from an either-or equation to a both-and equation. And so to us, he would say, look, as good citizens of the United States, then render, then give back to your earthly government what you owe them. If it's taxes, you give it back to them. Yeah, you can argue for different policies to get better taxes or to reduce taxes or for, you know, whatever. You can work within the government system, but if you owe taxes, you pay them. If you got to do jury duty, you do jury duty. If you got to do some civil service, you do civil service, whatever. Be a good citizen of the United States. And he says, as a person who holds dual citizenship, be a good citizen of heaven. You're made in the image of God. Render, give back to God what you owe him. 
And the idea is that you simply use the gifts that he's given to you as he dictates and you live available for his use. Now, I want to keep talking about this, but I, but I want to do one thing at this point right now. I want to give you three questions I'm going to put up on the screen, and I want you to write these down. I'd ask you to take a walk with them this week. I'd ask you in your community groups to discuss these questions this week. Um, first question, what does rendering to God look like in your life? What does it look like? What is rendering to God, giving back to God? What does it look like in your life? Second question, are there any areas where you have been disobedient in rendering to God? God has spoken to you and said, look, this is how I want you to give back. And and is there any area where you've ignored that, where you've resisted that? And, And just don't answer that quickly, really. Put that question in an open hand and take a prayerful walk with it and let the Holy Spirit speak to you in that regard. Third question. How could you be more mindfully intentional to render to God? This will change your life. It's a matter of saying, God, how can I be more mindfully intentional? How can I consciously think? How can I render to you today? How can I render to you this month? How can I render to you this year? As you guys ponder those questions, I want to invite my pastors to come on up here. I want to share with you Um, some things that are going on here. This attitude of rendering, giving back to God. So you guys come on, make your way up there. As they're making their way up, I want to share some things with you, okay? Um, Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. It's over to the right. (coughs) So the Apostle Paul, he's raising up Timothy. Timothy is a young pastor, He's instructing him. Here's how you need to pastor your church. Here's how you need to operate. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, here's what he says. He says, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And verse 2, the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's the model for the church. So me, taking this to heart as the pastor of this church, I have these faithful men. These are our pastors, our elders, uh, and, and what we do is I focus on committing to them the things that I learn and to, to equipping them to teach others, right? Commit these, as Paul says, to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now listen to the very next verse that he says, verse three. You therefore, okay, Me, the faithful men, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one entangled in warfare entangles himself in the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Here's what Paul is saying. (coughs) He says, you got to equip men. You got to train them up. You got to mobilize them to teach others also. And a day is going to come when as a faithful soldier, they are going to be deployed. Right? They're going to be deployed, and they, have, they, they, they got battles to fight. they got works to do. And, and it's, and it's the, the general's decision who goes where. Now hold that thought. Turn over to Acts chapter 13. 
I shared this with you a couple weeks ago. We were looking at the church. What's God's model for the church? And they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. And God adds daily to the church such as should be saved. And over time, what we see is as this church just begins to explode, God begins to mobilize people. And you get to Acts chapter 13, and you see this church in Antioch that has been planted. And verse 1 tells us about the guys, the different, you know, 2 Timothy chapter 2 guys that had been raised up, that are serving there, that the faithful men that are able to teach others also. And then you get to verse 2, and it says, as they ministered to the Lord, all these faithful teachers, as they ministered to the Lord and, fa- to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and they sent them away, right? Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. What was God doing? He was mobilizing. He was mobilizing his church and he was saying, listen, I'm calling a couple of soldiers to go out. We are an exciting time in the church, in our church, in the history of our church, because what's been happening is God's been moving and he's working. I'm gonna invite Pastor Scott to come on up here. Uh, I'll start with you. Um, so... Scott's been with me from day one. Uh, I married he and his wife, Autumn. Uh, He uh, has served on uh, the board, uh, our church board here. He's been a pastor by my side um, from the very beginning, the the starting of this church. And and so we've had very frank conversations, we all have, about, you know, what God's doing, who, you know, how he's moving, how he's working, who he's calling, what that's going to look like. And we've had frank discussions about the day when Scott's going to pastor his own church. That day's here. Tell him all about it. Thank you. <laughs> I think it was in Ted's head long before mine. I've been in denial. Um, but uh, I thank you. I thank you for the applause. I thank you for the encouragement. And I really, that's my heart here today. If I can convey one thing to you, it's just the thankful heart is what God has uh, given me over the last couple weeks as I reflect on things. Uh, Friday was 12 years that this church started, um, and God has done amazing things um, through this church, and I'll do everything I can to keep my composure up here um, and not cry, so I can't look at some of you. So, um, But God has just changed our lives dramatically for Autumn and I, and a um, big part of why we're going out, really, and if I had to sum it up, is a lot of what Ted just taught you, is that we've, you know, for much that is given, much is required, and God has been very gracious to Autumn and I. The church has been, Ted has been, Ted and Brenda pouring into our lives. Um, My fellow pastors, the board, um, very gracious to to us. And um, we're thankful and we are hoping to carry on that legacy and that love and and being the best fed and the best loved um, to the people of uh, Mount Juliet, Tennessee. And that's, um, yeah. And so... um, you know, Tennessee has always been on my heart. I grew up there in my summers with, and holidays there as my, my family is there, uh, a lot of my family, and um, never thought God would call me to go there. Uh, I used to joke about it, and it was nothing more than a joke. Um, but God has um, not enabled me to get this out of my head. And so a couple months ago, I went to Ted and said, hey, after much prayer, um, I just, I can't, I've asked God to remove it. You know, and that's my heart is I didn't want to leave here. You know, Proverbs 16, 9 tells us that man makes his plans, but God, God directs his steps. And um, 
And so um, that's the work that God's been doing. He's been, I can't even tell you how many ways God has revealed this to Autumn and I, and um, whether it's because a word of knowledge from somebody, it gives a premonition, and um, so much more I'll share next week. But um, we're so thankful for you. Um, and there's really only two people I can blame in all this, and that's God and then Pastor Ted, because 12, a little over 12 years ago, Ted gave his farewell message at Revival, and after serving with him, I went up to congratulate him on the stage that day an emotional mess because that was the first time my wife didn't go to church with me. And, you know, she just wanted to do something different. She knew God was calling us to something different. She said, I'm just not going to church today. So I went to church by myself, not expecting to hear that message. And um, I went home, told Autumn, I said, you know, hey, I think we ought to go with them. And I think we need to pray about it. And she's like, what's to pray about? Let's go. And our lives have never been the same as we've been fed and loved, and as we thought we were ministering to you over the years, you guys have ministered to us. So, we've experienced a lot together. We've seen our kids grow up here and learn to serve and to minister and to be part of this church, and... Um, shared those heartaches together, some of us, of watching our kids go through tough times. Um, I got two minutes? You cut me short last week. No. Um, so, uh, gosh, uh, you know, we've just gone through a lot, you know, and you don't do that without family and the love that you have for one another. You know, I've had to do memorials for good friends that have gone home to see the Lord prematurely. Some of them wouldn't be in the place they are if it wasn't for you guys and for Ted and for this church. So we're forever thankful. Thank you. So um, it's going to be a Reliance Church that Scott's going out to plant, Mount Juliet. Um, I, he's going to preach next week. He's actually leaving in the middle of June. Uh, he's about three weeks away from going out on this venture of faith. And, uh, and so we... Um, we're excited. There's a lot more uh, information to get out about this specific church plant next week. I've asked Scott to preach. Um, we're going to have cards printed up. We'll give you, you know, more details about what Scott's going out to do. Um, and, um, and, you know, it's an amazing thing. Well, we saw the Holy Spirit in the Church of Acts say, separate unto me Paul and Barnabas to the work that I've called them to do. And the Holy Spirit told us to separate two men to him as well. Um, one of them is Scott. The other one is Pastor Kyle, um, yeah, we, we've been preparing Kyle in earnest for the last two years, June 1st, yeah. two years ago, yeah. I put Kyle into the position of overseeing our operations, and I told him then, I'm putting you in this position because God's hand is on you and you're going to plant a church, and what you don't know isn't what's going to kill you, it's what you don't know that you don't know that's going to kill you. <laughs> And so, I'm dead either way. <laughs> and so I want to put you in this position to prepare you for going out. What did you say when I put you in that position? 
I said, uh, you can do, do what you want, but I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. So. And, I, and I said, oh, you're going. I said, I'm not going to kick you out, but God, but this, God showed me this is where you're going. And, uh, and Kyle then said, nope. <laughs> he said, I'm, he said my, I just want you to know my goal is going to be to make myself irreplaceable to you. I'm just going to make myself so valuable to you that you can't afford to let me go. And I said, okay, that's great. Go ahead and do that. Anyway, tell everybody just what God has done because it's, it's pretty cool. So, yeah, um, so this has been 12 years, as Pastor Scott said, 12 years since um, coming here and the Lord uh, brought my wife and I here. Um, and I was just newly walking with Jesus and eager to serve and eager to, to, to be involved. And so actually the first mission statement that we ever had as a church was we wanted to make disciples and we wanted to plant churches. And so um, I, I've been a part of a few different church plants that we've sent out from here, just um, helping, like we drove in Scott's Motorhome one time up to Utah to help people move and brought the youth group. And I was able to go out there another time and preach for the pastor who was on vacation. And I went out and helped the other pastor who went to Colorado, helped him move out there and um, and then down in Panama as well. So the Lord has always kind of brought me around church planting. And um, it's, I didn't know why. And obviously we know not why now, but I was always just kind of, as Pastor Scott, I was just in denial or didn't want to face the music that this is eventually maybe a reality for, for my wife and I. And so, but I always kind of knew this is maybe what God was making me and created me for. Um, and so um, two years ago, Pastor Ted, as Pastor Ted said, put me in this position. And, and actually about a couple years before that, we were tearing down at Linfield and he just stopped me and he's like, hey, I just want you to know, he just was encouraging me. He's like, I just want you to know I see God's hand in your life. And um, and uh, I just see you being a senior pastor one day. And I was like, oh, cool, man, thanks. You know, and kind of gave him a good game and let him go and thanked him for the encouragement. But I didn't really want to, I didn't want to go anywhere. Um, and so uh, my mom actually at one point um, said, you know, I just, the Lord told me you're going to be a senior pastor one day. And I said, oh, cool, mom, high five, thanks. And, um, you know, and then just two years ago, Ted puts me in this position and, and he was like, this is what God has shown me. And uh, in his head, he's probably thinking, God will show you this as well one day. And um, so I said, okay, you know, I'm up for a challenge or whatever. And so I oversaw operations, just learning what I don't know that I don't know. Um, and so uh, last June, actually, the Lord had said to me, um, you need to really really seek me on this because it's something I've put in, your, in, your, in the front of you and you always just kind of blow me off. And he's like, uh, you, you can't blow me off anymore. You need to pray about this. So I took from June all the way to November to pray quietly, never mentioned a word to my lovely wife who's in the very back. Um, and so uh, I didn't say a word to her because I was really praying um, that the Lord would just shut it down or um, praying that he would shut it down. And uh, so in November, he said, it's time to go approach Sarah. And so she's so godly. You know, I told her and she said, nope. <laughs> um, and so <laughs> we, we get an, actually an argument that night because I'm expecting her to, to have five months worth of praying and seeking of the Lord that I did and come to the conclusion that the Lord brought me to. But I was expecting that from her in five minutes, which is unfair husbands. Um, don't do that. Um, so she said, okay, well, at least I'll, I'll pray about it. I said, great. So we prayed together that night. We've been praying separately. And then she came back to me a couple weeks later, a month later, and said, okay, it's time to, to go. Um, let's go check it out. Okay, so way back. I don't have the time to tell you guys everything. But basically, it's Pastor Scott's fault that um, Sarah and I, too, are going to Tennessee. Um, and uh, so he has family that lived in Franklin. And this was probably 12 years or 11, 10 years ago at his home Bible study in Marietta. 
um, and he was like, we were joking about, let's go to Tennessee, you know, one at one point. And so it just has always stuck in my head. And then just the Lord has brought in different families and different things that I've just contacts that I've know down there. And so we end up going out to Nashville. That's where we thought we were going to be. Um, that's where I wanted to be. And the Lord said, no, um, I don't want you there. And so he directed us south towards Murfreesboro, which is about 40 minutes south of Nashville. It's a it's a lot like, uh, it's, a, it's just the young families. There's, you know, bedroom community, and that's the kind of family that the Lord is calling us to, to minister to, families like myself. Um, and so I have no business being in the woods, like, hunting deer. They'd be like, you're a phony. Um, so anyways, God's brought me to um, regular people like me, I guess. Or regular people, that sounds bad. But anyways, um, so we go out there, and we take a trip, and I'm praying, Lord, um, just confirm things, you know, and... Um, we get off the airplane, and, and uh, I go to the Hertz rental car desk, and I give the guy my, um, uh, my driver's license because, you know, he asked for it and stuff, and it's just this older, sweet guy, and, and he says, oh, what brings you out here from California? And I was like, all right, well, this is my first chance to, to tell somebody what we're doing. I said, well, we're praying to see if this is where God wants my wife and I to move to plant a church, and he looks me dead in the eye, and he says, we need you. We need you. The harvest is plentiful. The labors are few. Um, the scriptures that God has already been speaking to me, he used through this man, Leon, um, to confirm back to me, which is really cool. And Sarah walks up from the restroom, and she was like, and he's like, ma'am, we need you. And he, she was like, what the heck, you know? And uh, he's like, yeah, we just need people that are willing to, to speak the truth and stand on the wall like Nehemiah and fight for truth. And so, um, yeah, needless to say, that we're, we're going out there. And um, it was the very last day that we were there, and just... I was praying, like, those are all, I'm very cynical as it is, just that's, unfortunately, that's where my, my heart goes towards cynicism, and so I'm like, well, that wasn't from God, those are coincidences, right? And so I'm just reading my normal daily reading plan in Psalm 39, this is the last day before we get on the airplane to go home, and it says, Psalm 39, verses 4 through 7, it says, Lord, I'm reading a New Living Translation, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire life is just as a moment to you at best. Each of us, are, each of us is uh, but a breath interlude. We are merely moving shadows, and all our busy rushing ends in nothing, and we heap up wealth not knowing who will spend it. And so, Lord, where do I put my hope? My hope is in you. And so the Lord used that uh, to confirm that, uh, that we're supposed to be going out there and um, Lord willing, uh, we're going to tell people about Jesus. We will be telling people about Jesus and Lord willing, they'll come to faith and God will grow his church. Amen. So Kyle's going to plant about 40 minutes from where Scott's going to be planting. Um, uh, going out towards the end of the year, um, so uh, probably, uh, yeah, probably towards the end of the year, and um, and so more information, you know, coming uh, on on all of these things. They're they're both going to be, you know, Reliance Church plants. So um, just grateful and beautiful, beautiful. I mean, see what happens in these in these situations. It's like the one side of you. Listen, guys, churches go their whole lives sometimes without being able to to see other churches planted out of their churches. This is, this is a big deal. This is like a huge answer to prayer. This is Church of Acts stuff, you know? This is what we're supposed to be doing. And so it's happening. And so on the one hand, we're super excited and we're jubilant. And oh my gosh, this is great. For me, I mean, having, 
you know, Kyle and, and you know, his, his papa coming in and, and just see, you know, having a, it's much time I don't have, but I mean, tears, okay? Um, but, um, but it's great, it's awesome, but there's also the, the, the sad goodbye. And I remember I had a conversation with the Lord, if, you know, a while back as people were moving away and stuff, and I'm like, Lord, why can't we just be together? Why do we have to have goodbyes? And he said, uh, why can't they just stay is what my question was. And God said, that's heaven. That's heaven is when we stay. But earth is when we, when we go, when we get mobilized. So, so, so all this is going down. The question naturally comes, gosh, okay, so these guys are leaving. Who's staying? What's going to go on? Who's coming in behind them, right? So I just wanted to take it just a second real quickly, and we'll have more time to talk about this. But uh, Russell Holiday, uh, there you are. Russell is starting uh, June 1st. He's going to be our new operations director. Um, you all know his lovely wife, uh, Sarah, and Malia, who's really the star of the family. That's their picture up there. Sarah leads us in worship. Uh, Pastor Rod um, has been discipling uh, Russell for many years. He came as part of our merge with Cross Culture, and, uh, and so Russell's going to be stepping up, taking over operations. Um, and um, then uh, Tyler Donnelly, um, who couldn't be with us this service, um, but here's his picture. Uh, um, he um, and his wife and their daughter there, Darcy, um, they've been faithfully serving in our high school ministry. And so he's put in his six-month notice uh, with his employer, who's a member here and fully supportive of this. He's going to be stepping into the role of our high school pastor um, in, in uh, November, probably. And Pastor Darius, where are you at? Pastor Darius, I've asked him to add on additional hats. He's really going to be stepping into the role of our chief of staff uh, here at the church. Um, and... So listen, um, the beauty of all this is that this is a situation, we were joking last night, I made the announcement Saturday night service and Kyle wasn't here because he had to do a wedding, but I just told everybody Kyle wasn't here because he was mad at us, because <laughs> we had kicked him out, but ain't nobody mad, this, we, we, we've never loved anybody, each other more, we've never been closer, we've never been tighter, it's cool what God's doing. Um, so we need a lot of prayer. We need as a church to celebrate what God is doing. And guys, taking it back home as we, as we ready our hearts to, to partake of communion and to close out our services today. Listen, we need to prayerfully take a walk with this idea that we've been made in the image of God. It's God's image that is upon us. His inscription is upon us. And the, the mandate, the idea is we are to render to God. And, and your life is to be rendered to God. This is what it looks like in these men's lives right now. What's it look like in your life? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We do pray, Lord, for both Scott and for Kyle, just lifting them up to you right now. We love them. We're thankful that your hand is upon them. We're grateful, Lord, that their desire is to render to you what belongs to you. We celebrate, Lord, with them what you will do.